Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I am honored and humbled to introduce our next guest, artist, director, photographer, personal growth seeker, and CEO and co-founder of It's Good, Mike Rosenthal. Mike is an excellent example of energizing his career through his personal passions. At least that's very much what it looks like on the outside, and we're going to find out more. All whilst building a family and pursuing and prioritizing sanity and travel and adventure. We're really excited to have you. Welcome to What's the Point? Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you for being here. So we typically start every podcast asking a question on what your definition of fulfillment is and what your definition of success is and if they are at all intertwined. Yeah, it's a good question. And honestly, like I think I'm at a point in my life now where I've been asking myself the same thing, you know, and I think I've definitely reached that point where it's it's shifted, you know, where I think it's certainly not unique to like being a guy growing up in a big city, but I would say at least my experience as a guy growing up in a big city, like there's there's certainly this pressure of, you know, what does a successful guy look like, you know, and what's your lifestyle and what are the, you know, what are the things you should aim for? And what's that like the holy grail of like adulthood, you know? especially like when you're in your twenties, you know, when I, I'll speak about myself personally, when I was in my twenties, social media hadn't come out yet, but there's still like, you know, celebrity was, uh, you know, everywhere. And, and the, um, you know, the kind of rag mag culture was, was everywhere. And even though I never really like idolized, I never wanted to be a celebrity. I never like needed to have that celebrity lifestyle. There's still like, you go out, you, you want to feel cool. You want to be able to buy stuff. And, you know, you see other people living this life of like leisure and you're like, oh, I want that. I want that. I want to be able to travel. I want to be able to like buy nice things. I want to be able to, 
feel successful. I want to feel like I'm productive. And I think I've kind of learned that that's for me, the core desire is to feel productive and to feel meaningful, to feel like I have some kind of direction. I, I like to make things. And, you know, I think that's come about in a number of different ways in different kind of chapters of my life. And so that's been expressed in art and photography and film and now, you know, in, in a company, but then also now as a, as a dad, you know, kind of crafting these, these little people is, is like the ultimate making things. So all this to say, like, I think the, the shine is kind of gone on, you know, the, the life that I thought that I wanted. And that I think a lot of young people are kind of, uh, nudged into, you know, the idea of like this, like really fancy Instagram worthy lifestyle. I've been able to kind of dip my toe in those, you know, things over the years. Um, and it is fun, but I've also seen the, the emptiness that goes along with it, you know, and that a lot of the people that I've gotten to know over the years who have, you know, abundance of everything are not necessarily, they're not abundant with happiness. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's really been a process of like, okay, if the ultimate goal really is truly happiness, what does that mean? for me and how do I, how do I get there? And I, you know, I, I don't know that, you know, I, again, speaking personally, like that I have like found exactly the right combination. I still am like hungering for more and, you know, so many different directions and really, you know, still working for my different successes. But I think that I have a better, a better foundation certainly and a better understanding and at least a better general direction of what ultimately makes me happy. I love that. So I think what I'm really taking from this is like, it's more of a feeling you're in search for versus certain actual tangible things. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fulfillment. Yeah. For me, I think it's feeling meaningful, feeling productive, feeling like I have something worthy, worthwhile to like put my energy into. Yeah. Purpose. Yeah. Well, okay. So you mentioned that there was like a shift, right? Where you're like, I thought I wanted this life when did that shift and how, like what inspired that shift? I mean, it's, it wasn't, it's nothing sudden. I think honestly, some of it is age, you know, some of it is just like getting tired. Some of it is just like, <laughs> you know, not wanting to do, do like do that grind and that, that chasing of like, cool, you know? And then also like the idea of cool and fun also has changed and, I don't know. It's like they, I, I definitely am like feeling my age, but in a good way where like, I look at like what the kids are doing and I'm like, good for them. You know, like, I don't need to do that. You know, honestly, even like all the, the pictures coming back from Coachella, I'm like, you know what? I remember how much fun that was for me, but I don't need to be there right now. You know, I don't feel like I'm missing anything by not being in the middle of that sweaty crowd where, yeah. you know, in the past <laughs> that I wanted to be right there in the middle, in the chaos. Like that's what I was seeking. Cause I think at that point I was, you know, my twenties, I was just trying to like feel the most alive, you know, and trying to throw myself into chaos and trying to just trying to discover. And now I think I've had enough opportunity to push myself out of my comfort zone and go to weird places, you know, traveling and go to, the crazy festivals and do all that stuff. So honestly, maybe it's the fact that I've been able to experience all of this stuff 
And it's kind of just kind of, you know, come full circle to where I'm like, oh, I don't actually need that. I've done a lot. Jen and I talk about this all the time, you know, where we we both lived very full lives even before we met each other. And then full lives as, you know, as we referred to as dinks, dual income, no kids, and just like lived, you know, for quite a while with no kids, just what do we want to do? What's immediately in front of us? And we, and I think we both had this itch to keep going and keep running. And so maybe it's, I've just kind of run myself into a bit of exhaustion and, you know, and certainly now, of course, having kids, I've certainly reached a place of like, oh, this really is fulfilling. This is purpose. And this is not my only purpose and it's not my only source of fulfillment, but it's it's a, a new level of happiness that I was not getting from anything else. I've, I've also realized that I think, and again, just speaking for me personally, like as a young, as a young man, there was a desire to like fuck shit up and break stuff and like disrupt and like go do weird things and like, you know, go out to the desert and, you know, be crazy. <laughs> go to Coachella. Yeah, go to Coachella. And like, you know, when I was a teenager, cause I, I, so, okay, I'll back up. I grew up really sensitive and part of, you know, being a, a boy and being a sensitive boy, like it kind of sucks, you know, and like people would hurt my feelings and I would cry. And so part of my development was also like, how do I toughen myself up, which is not an easy thing to do. And now as an adult, you know, I'm trying to like re-embrace like just the the soft side and like really be that loving, sensitive person for, you know, especially for my kids. But I think, you know, kind of getting into that, like, especially like as a teenager, you get rebellious and you're like, nah, fuck this. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to forge my own path. Um, and, you know, so I really pushed myself to like, go down the road, less traveled, go backpacking, sleep in fields, you know, go to weird places, go off the grid. And then there was, there's just been a shift. And I do think some of it is, is a function of age where my joy shifted from like, instead of breaking things, it was building things and making things. And so now it's, you know, it's building a career, it's building, it's art, it's building a company, it's building kids, it's building a family, building, you know, even our house, it's like making a garden, you know, uh, designing stuff, making things has now become like a source of joy. Whereas before it was like disrupting, you know, that's a bit of a ramble. Do you think the disruption came sometimes from a place of like fitting in with the crowd? Like when you were in your twenties and running yourself to exhaustion and going to all the parties and the Coachellas and all that, was there also an element of like fitting in? And now you're at a place where you're like, no, I love like my authentic self and I like, I can build, I have an amazing family and there's so many amazing things around me that fulfill me. I don't need to subscribe to society's conditioning and fit in. I can be my own individual and love that. Yeah, definitely. I think, so my family was pretty, I mean, look, it's, it's all shades of gray. Like there's, it's a, a really wide scale, but my family was pretty fucked up, you know, depending on the years. My mom is, you know, really kind of suffers from different kinds of mental illness. Um, and so, you know, there were different periods of my upbringing where she was more present and available. And then other times where she was much less so. And she, you know, was 
manic depressive and so would be in these periods of mania uh and excited and, and you know engaged but like hyper and you know and then in these periods of depression where she you know couldn't get out of bed for you know weeks at a time and you know just being a, a robe and so just very inconsistent yeah and she would like self-medicate and you know, drank a lot and you know took pills and um it just was not especially as a sensitive kid, like it was not a, an environment that helped me build my self-esteem, you know, like I think looking back on it, I was kind of like, I was friends with everybody and I kind of fit in anywhere, but inside I felt like I didn't belong anywhere, you know? And I, I felt kind of a bit of like that imposter syndrome early on. And I, I was lucky that I kind of fell in with the nerds early. And like, I found this other group of like misfits and, you know, they became the people that I, I kind of bonded with the closest. And that sort of carried even through high school. I was friends with everybody, but it was really the nerds and the artists and the like theater geeks and even like the auto shop burnouts that were like, it was like, it was the misfits that I, I'm like, yeah, cool. We can, you know, I, I feel like I can connect with you more. And I, you know, I remember, I remember looking at people who didn't care about what other people thought and just thought like, God, what a, what an incredible way to live. You know, like, how do I, how do I get to that place? And I remember my, one of my best friends, his grandfather, like we'd take him out to like, go to get lunch. And he would just look completely ridiculous. He was dressed in like the most absurd outfit ever. And I remember my friend telling me at one point, he's like, I, I was talking to my grandpa the other day because his outfit was insane. And he's like, grandpa, you know, you might maybe just put something else on and like, we're going to the, going to the mall. And his grandpa looked at him. He's like, I don't think you understand how little I give a fuck. You know, like I could not give less fucks. Like I do not, his grandpa <laughs> cursed like a sailor. And both of us, like, this friend of mine, he, you know, we were very similar and still are very, very similar. And we, we would talk about this afterwards, like, God, God, what a great way to, to live, you know, like to live like an old man. But how do we get that old man way of thinking before we're old, you know? And so one of the things that I like, you know, repeat to myself and things like I, I want to like make sure I can try as, as best I can to infuse in my kids. Like the earlier you can learn to just detach yourself from everybody else's opinions, the happier you will be, the freer you will be, the better your life will be. And I can't say that I'm like completely detached. Like I still, you know, find myself, you know, judging myself. I still, you know, find myself comparing and, you know, getting into those like, you know, all those like negative talk exercises that I think are, are, you know, pretty common, but I've come a long way. And, you know, I think some of it is, is definitely like getting married, getting older, you know, finding my own successes, but then also just kind of detaching from, you know, I don't know, maybe it's all like, it all happens at the same time, but it's like detaching from that chase, you know, and then being able to see it from the outside and being able to see like, oh, you know, I really don't care. Yeah. Like, if anybody else who's, who's like chasing their, you know, their passion, uh, or, or chasing the cool or whatever it is like, awesome. I hope they're having a good time. I'm happy to like now be out of that and just be in a different phase of my life and just to not care anymore. You know, it sounds like 
Yeah, like you have emotional empathy for them. You're not like, ugh, like frustrated by it. You're just like, okay, that's their journey and that's all right. Yeah. And kind of accept that's something that I yeah. personally am very much working on is like learning to not be so, not only care what other people think, but not be bothered by what other people are doing and yeah. keeping my eyes on my own paper. Yeah. So you are well-known. You're wife is well known. You're very like run in circles of a lot of fame and a lot of privilege. And that's wonderful. How do you keep yourself sane and grounded and not fall into the chase and all of that? Because that is very, and and there's social media, there's so many distractions that I feel like are, at least for me, I can imagine would be very easy to fall into. Yeah. I mean, look, I started talking with therapists in my 20s. Um, I'm 45 now, so I've had, you know, over two decades of therapy. I'm not talking to somebody as regularly now. I did, so Jen and I both went to Hoffman. It was recommended to us. This is pre-pandemic. I'd gone through, you know, like different chapters where like I had a therapist I was talking to weekly, in some cases bi-weekly. A lot of it was kind of getting through and first like really understanding my, that my experience with my family was not ideal in many ways. And, you know, in some ways it was, and in other ways it wasn't. Outwardly, it always appeared to be this wonderful, you know, wonderful family. And, you know, my parents stayed married for a long time, where especially in like the 80s, 90s, there were a lot of divorces. So it was always like, oh, the Rosenthal's, it's like this incredible, you know, like <laughs> they're married and they have, you know, the kids. But there's just a huge amount of dysfunction that people never saw and a lot of, yeah, just a lot of, a lot of bad stuff. So, some of, you know, the, the beginning of therapy was really like acknowledging to myself, like, oh, this really affected me in a negative way. There's a lot of stuff that I have learned that I need to now unlearn if I want to truly be happy and be the person that I feel that I am inside. And then, you know, found in, you know, different phases of life, I would kind of reach a point where I'm like, okay, you know, what? I feel like I've kind of got my hands around this. Um, I think I'm good for now. And then like a new life chapter would, you know, would uh, the page would turn, I would start a new chapter and I would maybe have a new perspective. It's like going from 20s to 30s, like suddenly, I mean, like a new phase in life, I can kind of recontextualize what I'd gone through. Oh, that makes me sad again. I haven't had any contact with my mom since I was 25, I want to say. So it's been about 20 years, maybe even more than that. And so even that, you know, in different steps of life, it comes back to me and I'm like, oh, that really makes me sad for, you know, for different reasons. Now it's like, oh, she's never met her grandkids. My, my kids will never know their grandmother, you know? And then also now understanding what she put us through, you know, both me and my sister and my dad, you know? So seeing the impact it had on, you know, my dad, and now having a spouse of my own and understanding like what he went through and what he, you know, the things that I was mad at him for, there's still some things that like I, you know, I could be angry about, but I also understand that he was doing the best that he could. But now seeing like, okay, what she put me and my sister through, it makes me really sad to think of, to now see my kids and imagine them going through the same things that we went through. But then I also have empathy for my mom because I understand that she has illness and then she was also doing the best that she can from this, you know, long line of, of flawed people. 
And so, you know, with each phase, I would kind of reach like, okay, I need to, I need some help here personally. And the, the most recent phase was, uh, was this Hoffman phase that I'm, I'm happy to say that I'm still firmly in. And Jen has also been on her own personal journey. You know, she was adopted, um, which you know, she's talked about all this. I don't feel weird about saying it. she was adopted, raised Mormon and has a, you know, wonderful family. She just never felt like she fit into the structure that, you know, was kind of presented to her, um, especially growing up in, in Utah and Hawaii, um, you know, in a, in a Mormon family. And so I think, you know, for her, it was leaving, it was finding her own path, but she's also been talking to therapists. She's been, you know, really trying to further herself as, as a person. And it was actually, and she's talked about this publicly, but it was Katy Perry was the first one that told Jen, like, hey, I grew up with a really religious family. You did too. I went to Hoffman. It was awesome. You got to go. You got to go do this. It's incredible. And, you know, we kind of, we love Katie, um, you know, but she's a big celebrity. And and we're like, is this a, is this a Hollywood thing? What is this yeah. Hoffman? And so we started kind of digging around and, and we realized yeah, after talking to people that there were a number of people in our circles. It wasn't quite as popular as it is now, but there were a number of people who had been um, in some cases, many years before, and all of them had positive things to say about it. And I was also like, just at that same time, reaching this point of like, I had this like deep sadness. And, and I think it was because like, we hadn't had kids yet, but they were on the horizon. I, at that point, had been married for like six years, I think, six or seven years. You know, it'd been almost 20 years since I'd seen my mom. She would kind of like, dip in and out. Every once in a while, I would just get a random card from her of like, hey, happy birthday. Hope, hope you're good. You know, I'm like, that's that's it. You know, like it just, you know, there, there was this building sadness, right? I was kind of reaching this point of like, I was kind of almost having to raise my chin up just to keep my eyes above the tears. You know, like I was, there was, it was just this building and I couldn't pinpoint any one thing, but I'm like, I need to find, I need to find a new therapist. Like I got to figure this out and if not figured out, at least just like work through it again, you know? And it's really, it is like, it's like a cow chewing the grass over and over again. You know, like I'm literally going to be just chewing on that same bit of grass, I'm sure for the rest of my life as, as we kind of all are. And so when the Hoffman recommendation came, both of us were like, great, let's do this before we have kids. Let's go and just dive in. And, you know, I never knew how profound it would be, but for me personally, it was profound. It was incredible. And it was, you know, it's hard for anybody to understand like what could a week, how much of a change could a week bring. But, you know, I say it's like, for me, it was going and just staring the devil in the face for a week, you know, and just taking all of the stuff that has been buried in the closet, you know, under piles of clothing, just taking it all out and just laying it on the floor and just having to deal with it, you know, and deal with it in this incredible environment where I don't have any distractions that are, you know, either things trying to grab me or things that I would go to, to turn away from the pain and discomfort and, uh, you know, and just to give me an artificial relief, you know, the teachers were incredible. All of them have, you know, like this rich history of, you know, my, my personal teacher, she's, um, they're very clever. Like they, there's a lot of pre-work. We kind of go through your whole story. They pair you with 
the right person for you. And my teacher was kind of the embodiment of the mom that I would have always wanted. She was, yeah, she's Italian and chic and she lives in Switzerland and uh, she's been doing this for, you know, like 50 years. Her family is like, you know, half of them are Freudians and the other half are Jungians. And she's just like level-headed and like loving, but direct and, you know, like really like just put together, you know, um, you know, knows art and travel and, you know, we'll sit and sip on a, you know, a espresso and, you know, like really was that, you know, if I could kind of paint a picture of who I would want as a mother figure, it is, it is this, it's, you know, loving, stable, understanding, intelligent, well-spoken, not reactive. So she was my guide through all this. And part of the model is, you know, you have this big group of everybody attending for that week. And then they divide you into smaller groups. And I won't go into like any of the, the details, but, you know, you bond with these other people who you, know, you kind of realize everybody has a different experience, but you're all kind of there for the same reason, you know, and it gives you this support and this reinforcement to just like, cool, we're here because we're hurting for one of, you know, any number of reasons. And we're all here to, to address this. And like, you know what, good for us, you know, pat ourselves on the back for actually doing something about it. And, you know, the, the huge takeaway for me is, I mean, there were, there were so many, but like the idea of this inherited trauma, you know, I think it's easy for people to think like, oh, uh, I have a genetic predisposition to something. And in some cases that may be true, but, you know, I'm, I have a flaw that is buried in me. And in, in most cases, that's not necessarily true. Like if you look at the idea of generational trauma, if you have, you know, fucked up parents, they're going to raise, like, there's no, it's, it's almost impossible to not be fucked up in a different way because you're just trying to survive. And so part of the, the model is like, okay, from zero to two, you know, for most of that time, like you can't really even communicate, you can't speak, but you're so finely tuned into what is the environment that I'm in? How do I get fed? How do I make sure I'm, I'm sheltered? How do I, how am I safe? And so thinking about like my own experience is like, okay, I had to tune into my mom even before I, I knew words, even before I, I knew what any, anything really mean, I had to know, is she, is she depressed? Is she happy? Is she, how do I bond with her? And how do I become the opposite puzzle piece that fits into her shape? And, you know, that served me really well as a kid because I survived, you know, I was fed, I was clothed, I was, you know, sheltered. But now as an adult, I still have, you know, that shape of what I had to become as a child and that doesn't serve me in my relationships, you know, with my spouse, with people I work with, with people that I may have conflicts with. So, you know, the process of, you know, the Hoffman process itself and, and going through the, the Hoffman process is really, you know, very much about like honestly looking at what are those things that we learned in order to survive that served us well through childhood, but now are a burden or are, you know, are you know, bringing pain and, and unhappiness and difficulty and other things in, into our lives. And so, you know, you, you meet all these other people who everybody is a different shape that they've contorted to, to fit into, you know, some of them, it was like, 
you know, parents that were Vietnam veterans. Some of it was parents who were alcoholics. Some of it were, you know, parents who, you know, it's like two generations ago were Holocaust survivors that just did not talk about it. And they just put their head down and they just survived. And like, they had to, that's all that they could do is just push through to survive. But without being able to let go of that, their kids became the perfect puzzle pieces to fit into a broken person. To survive, yeah. To survive. And so then now they're a, a weird puzzle piece. And so now their kids are having to adapt. So you can, you, know, you can very quickly see, I mean, like, I remember like my dad's mom, when she passed, you know, we were going through all of her stuff and we were, you know, finding these like wads of old money that was crumpled up like $20 bills, $10 bills that were, they were so old. They were still like silver notes, you know, like they'd been there for decades shoved under the bed, crumpled up and put into like a stocking, you know, in the back of a drawer. And it was all because she was afraid if there was like another run on the banks, you know, she needed to have like, just have some cash because she like lived through, you know, if you live through the, the depression and you're trying to survive and you don't have food, it's like you, you, are, you are in a survival mentality and she never left that. So then my dad is the product of a survival mentality person never really had the benefit of going through a lot of, you know, therapy himself. He's a very like introspective person, but, you know, he just did the best he could to survive and fit in. And, you know, in many cases, the person that he found in my mom was kind of the compliment to who he, you know, as they say like, oh, you marry your parents. It's like you do in a sense, because that is your model of what a relationship is. That's the piece that you've formed. So you look for the piece that you fit into. And unless you've done the work to kind of change your shape, you're going to look for what is familiar and what is comfortable and what is, what is known. Because in many cases, what is known but dysfunctional is still more comfortable than what's unknown and maybe functional. Like yeah, of course. It can be a lot more scary to to try for something that is could be really healthy and good. It may be easier to just go back to what you know, even if it's dysfunctional and and bad. So all like all of this is it's a lot. No, you know? it's amazing. This is no, this is like I have so many like directions I so that, that I want to go. But one thing I just want to say about this is I think it it really comes back. The theme is, is like this sense of belonging, right? It's like, you know, both Jen and yourself like had this upbringing where you didn't really like fit into like what was given to you and what box was presented. And you were just craving this like sense of belonging. And at Hoffman, you finally found this like safe place and you, you felt like you belonged, like everyone is going through their shit. And I think belonging is something that is an innate human nature for us. And the part where you're speaking about, you know, the generational trauma, like my family is um, from Iraq. I'm Sephardic Jew. They were all kicked out. So that really resonates with me because there is a lot of generational trauma in my family, but it's how can you come from a place of, of compassion and empathy for what they were going through and that all they wanted again was belonging. They wanted to belong. So now a lot of the patterns that I have came from, you know, my grandmother, my mom, just like wanting to fit in with society because for so long they were told, no, like you're Jewish, you need to leave, like all that kind of stuff. Right. So it's like, how do you come at it from a place of compassion and empathy, but then also like work to take that out because that's not yours. Right. Yeah. I realized that I'd gone 
pretty far off from like the question that you'd ask about Sam <laughs> that's, Brown. That's exactly what we want. Uh, well, I mean, I can tie it back. And, and I think going through the process, like the Huffman process, but also just the process of like self-discovery myself and really understanding that everybody has been on their own journey, you know, and everybody is... That emotional empathy. Yeah. It's being able to... Yeah. yeah to so keep. that's helped me a lot with... You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. judgment because I think, and again, like I'll speak personally, I think my mechanism for like making myself feel better. And I, and I think that it's pretty common is, you know, among society, right. Is like, you see something that maybe you're jealous of, you're envious of, and first, you know, inclination maybe to just shit on it and be like, ah, if I, that fucking, you know, person or yeah, that thing, like, eh, that's stupid. I don't, you know, I don't judgment. need that yeah. Yeah, judgment. And so I've gotten a lot better. And I think it's something, something I'm still always working on is like, is being able to see people who either have extreme success, whether they've it's been earned or inherited or whatever it is, or people who are in the cool, you know, in the, the cut of everything and, and really hoping that they all have happiness, really like understanding that they have their own, you know, background and up, you know, upbringing and, and knowing that a lot of people, you know, it doesn't matter how happy you are inside, there's still something that's hurting. And so just really trying to have that empathy for everybody, not being so tightly tied to how I feel things should be, because things should be different for everybody. So yeah. what's the way that things should be for me are not necessarily, you know, right for everybody else. And, you know, I think we've also with time, we've found other people that, you know, whether they're kind of you know, blue collar, regular people or celebrities that, you know, are rich and famous. We found people who are deeply caring, empathetic, intelligent people who have the same personal goals and the same goals for their kids and the same, you know, goals for the world. So I think we've just been fortunate to, you know, just to meet wonderful people who we just connect with on a, you know, a level that is beyond just I mean, look, like we would go out and have fun with a lot of these friends, but now, you know, we're, we're all older. We're all, you know, settling into like, okay, what's, what's going to feed our souls? Yeah. This kind of ties back to this idea of assumptions, right? Like, I think it sounds like you've been able to kind of transcend and take a look and say, hey, everyone's actually made of the same stuff, mm -hmm. right? And I think that is because you have these juxtaposition of, the rich and famous and the blue collar doesn't matter. We're all the same and we all have the same fears and insecurities and goals and aspirations. And 
I wanted to ask you. So because we are living in the age of assumptions, what, I mean, say this eloquently, especially with social media, we know like what you see is not what you get. And what do you think are some of the assumptions you've made in your own life about how life should be or would be that didn't come to fruition? And how did you navigate that? You know, especially like in my 20s when I was really like, you know, first started in the film business and then transitioned more into photography. It was really trying to, I didn't have a, a mentor that could kind of help lay things out. And so I was, a lot of it was stumbling around in the dark and just bumping my head into everything and just learning kind of the hard way, but really aspiring to be this, you know, incredible, successful photographer. And, you know, this is pre-social media. So now I would say it's gotten even worse, but like you'd see like the the lifestyles of the rich and famous, right? And they're out on boats and they're taking pictures and they're, you know, this and that. I learned at some point, and this is not, of course, everybody, but there's a lot of people in the creative fields that come from inherited wealth, which is not bad at all, but I think it's important for kids coming up to understand that they're not doing something wrong because they're not able to live the same lifestyle that some of the others are. Like it was, I kind of had this aha moment of, you know, I learned there was like one big photographer who was literally a, a European prince. I was like, oh, and then there was another <laughs> one who's like parents, you know, were like industrialists. It was like, oh, you know, and because I kept thinking, I'm like, how are these guys like kind of popping up out of nowhere? And all of a sudden they're doing like some huge thing, like on a boat in Europe. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? How am I like, I'm, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with my approach, with my work that's not good enough, that, you know, I'm not cool enough. What is it? And then I realized like, oh, that's actually like his family's boat, you know? And yeah. that's, um, you know, they live in this, in a different world than I live in. And so I think it's, again, it's like no knock on them, but I think it's important to understand that, that the creative field is hard is and it takes a long time before you can actually start to support yourself and then from there to build a, a life of comfort like it takes a long long time and i don't think that that's really talked about because i think you know i'm sure some people are maybe embarrassed to talk about it or they want to be just judged on the merit of their work which i totally understand but there is this pressure for you know kids coming up to like have this instant success because that's what they see and of course now instagram and all the other social platforms, it just magnifies that because it gives you this really myopic view of what this life is. And so it's, you know, driving a flashy car. It's like, okay, well, maybe that's yours. Maybe it's not. Who knows? You're on a boat. Whose boat is it? I don't know. You know, you're staying at a huge villa. Are you actually staying there? Or did you just walk through and take a picture? I don't know. You know, like all of this <laughs> stuff, so like all of this stuff yeah. and, you know, and the private planes and all of these things that, that used to be for a really small, like I remember growing up and if I saw like, I loved cars just because I loved the design. Like I thought they were beautiful. But I remember seeing like a Lamborghini and that was like, whoa, it's a Lamborghini. Oh my God. Like it was so unique. And now it's like, oh, get the fuck out of my way, Lamborghini. You know, like, yeah, there's so many yeah. of them just all over the, the road. So like something happened where these things that, that used to be reserved for a, a fairly small group of society. And now it's like everybody expects to have a super hot car and fly private. And 
I just think the expectations are like really topsy-turvy now. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually think you answered it. It's like, what, what are some assumptions that you made about life yeah. that you found that, that are, found no are true? true. And, mm. and this thing about, I do agree. I have a lot of friends in the creative field and they're hustling and it's like, it's true. I think, but I, I do think that this social media has really fueled this idea that you should be somewhere in life and not just in your career, yeah. but in, and not just monetarily, but like married. Yeah, yeah. You know, in your relationships, you should be a certain place. But the truth is, just because someone posted a hotel they walked through or on someone else's private jet, which I think there was an era of these influencers like paying to get photographed on a private jet or something crazy like that. Yeah, they have like a fake private jet set that you can actually go oh, and pay no, to like. Insane. It's very like yeah. fire festival. Yes, you know, yeah, the yeah. Epitome yeah. of that. And I think. You know, that's a very real thing that's, I think, only gotten worse yep. with social media. And I think it's really difficult, at least for me. I know when I'm scrolling, I'm not asking questions. Mm -hmm. I'm not being like, okay, but Jazz, are they really, like, happy? Or are they yeah. really... I'm just like, God, everyone's doing better. Everyone's yeah. happier. Everyone... It's, yeah. it's hard to stop yourself. Yeah. yeah. So what are also, to, like, take Jasmine's question and, like, flip it, I guess, what are some assumptions that maybe people have made about you that are not true? Um, good or question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think like both you and Jen, like as a yeah. family too, because I think both of you are like, you know, very successful and in, and in the, the, public, the eye. public eye. Yeah. I would say, I mean, look, outwardly facing, I've actually made a point lately to spend less time on social media. And I, I'm happy to say, that my Instagram feed now is there's a, an account called Kook Slams, which I'm not a surfer, but I love watching um, surf videos. And also Kook Slams is just like people falling and waves crashing on them. <laughs> this makes really, yeah, it makes me happy. And then there's like a bunch of pet accounts. Like and so dog I- Dog and I, cat videos. Yeah. yeah, I now- Very innocent. Yes. And I, I spend a very small amount of time actually scrolling and I'm way happier. Um I'm also not as active posting. I think also because there's an immense pressure to keep posting and be active and build the following, especially like, you know, working in media, like that's become, you know, a, a, a value that you provide to other, you know, to companies, to clients is, you know, what is your, your reach and your audience? And it's almost like a, a metric to prove how relevant you are, which kind of sucks. But as I've kind of shifted now into, you know, building this company and I'm less focused on just posting about work and, you know, stuff. And I can just I actually have a social media manager that I work with who's amazing and she keeps nudging me. She's like, hey, should we post this stuff? And now, but it's like, you know, pictures of like some old travel and a picture of the sky and trying to make it a little more just fun and artistic. I think looking back on what I had posted in the past, looking at, you know, just what is sort of publicly available. I think there's probably an assumption that, you know, we're only friends with fancy people, you know, or that we live this like really like rich, fancy life. And I will say that, you know, we're fortunate to be able to build a comfortable life. And, you know, again, like I'm 45, I've been at this for a long time. And the last 10 years have been just a grind for both of us, but we're, we try to live a, a really grounded life and we're trying to, we want to have comfortable things. We want to have 
you know, nice things, but we don't need to have all of the fancy stuff. We don't need to have the hottest cars. We don't need to have. So I, I hope that that kind of comes across in how our messaging is now. We found our passions. And so we're really putting our heart and soul into building these passions. In the past, again, like I was, I think I was chasing things that were very fleeting, you know, yeah. and I'm sure if I scroll back far enough, there's pictures of me posing, you know, like on a plane, like going to, you know, somewhere else. Like there's tons of stuff that I, I could go and just erase that certainly does not represent who I am anymore. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I think I'm trying to think of like what, if I were to be completely an outsider, look, looking at us. Um, I think you really hit on some some big things there. I think like the fact that you lead such a grounded life with Jen is is actually quite beautiful. And I'm curious to know, like from a parenting standpoint, it's like given everything that's in our world right now, like how do you ensure that you foster your kids to live that life too when their environment can be the opposite of that yeah. and they can go to these homes that are crazy and get on a private jet and yeah. all that. Like, how do you kind of foster this like groundedness at home? I mean, the, the answer is we don't know yet. You know, we <laughs> yeah. talk about this all the time and there's the question of like, okay, is it better to raise a kid in the city or out of the city? And I really enjoyed growing up here, you know, and I did grow up around rich kids and poor kids. Like I, went to birthday parties that were way more elaborate than anything I've ever, you know, had ever experienced as, you know, for myself. And then there were other kids who were like buying their lunch with food stamps. You know, I went to public school. I also, you know, when we moved out to the Valley, I was 16. And I understand now through like parent eyes, like the appeal of like going to the, to the Valley and it's beautiful mm -hmm. and it's green. But as a teenager, it was really disruptive. And also, one of the things that I noticed, I felt like there was a bigger drug problem in the Valley than there was in the city. And I can only attribute that to, there's just less stuff to do, or at least there was at that point, less stuff to do than there was in the city. In the city, you know, there's museums and, you know, sports and gymnasiums, like just stuff everywhere to keep, you know, to keep yourself busy as long as you're encouraged to, you know, keep busy. And at least at that point, you know, this was in the 90s, there wasn't a whole lot going on where we had moved. And I think Jen is at this point, you know, more encouraging of like getting out of the city. And I think that she is pretty weary of how the city presents itself and, you know, how kids grow up and what they see and what's around them. But, you know, what I keep trying to tell her is like the city is also this magnet of diversity, you know, it was a magnet mm -hmm. of like, there isn't just the fancy rich people in the city. There's a ton of normal people. And, you know, we can find the right combination of schools and neighborhoods and things that, that could give this incredible diversity that, you know, we may not find in a, in a smaller town in a, in a more quiet area. And, you know, and I, I try to re remind her of like, you know, when she was growing up, like she had never met a Jewish person, never met a gay person, oh. you know, and just because I'm sure they were there, but they weren't, you know, it wasn't safe to come out. It wasn't, you know, uh, you know, encouraged, right? You know, my kids have gay aunts and uncles, you know, my kids have black, white, brown, you know, every color of, of friend. Um, they have, you know, their aunts and uncles that are like, 
fancy. They have their aunts and uncles that are like normal people and super loving. You know, all of them are super loving, but some of them just happen to have, you know, careers that are like in entertainment and other ones happen to have careers that are in education or in, you know, um, and something completely unrelated. So I don't know, honestly, like I know it's going to be a struggle. You know, I know that we're living in a house now that is so much vastly larger than the house I grew up in and that the house that Jen grew up in. And so for us, it's amazing because this is something we've worked really hard to get to, but it's also, this is the baseline for our kids. They won't know any different. So how do we try to enjoy the comforts that we've been able to really build for ourselves without raising kids that just kind of expect that comfort and assume that that's just what everybody has? So I don't know, honestly, I think it's going to be probably a mix of like being of service, you know, and volunteering and making sure that they really understand how much we have and how many people have so little um, and really kind of keeping that in perspective. I think it's going to be constantly showing them how rich of a tapestry the world is, but then also just how many people are still struggling with whether it's controlling your own body, whether it's being able to marry who you want, whether it's being, you know, like being shot because of your skin color, you know, like this is stuff that yeah, my kids will never know that that fear, but it's important for them to understand that other people do. That it so, exists. Yeah. And, and so I think it's like really keeping them grounded and really playing an active role in exposing them to all of these other things and not letting them just, you know, be little shits. Yeah. And I think I'm not a parent, but from what it, you know, I, my parents are also immigrants. So as scared immigrants, my mom was very anxious and again, generational trauma, very controlling in a lot of ways. And I knew, I know what comes from love. You know, I know what comes from her own fear and wanting to protect me, et cetera. And it's so interesting because I think about it and I'm like, but we're all trying to control the uncontrollable. Mm-hmm. Like, you have a huge influence in how your kids will be raised. But no matter where you raise them, there's going to be good and there's going to be bad. And it really, I think, just depends, I would assume, on like what conversations you're having at home and what exposure, what you're letting, allowing them to see and how much of it you're allowing them to see. And like when it really comes down to it, you're going. there's going to be a good and bad side of anywhere you raise your kids. Yeah. You know, small house, that comes with its own. I have friends who feel, you know, I grew up in a really small house and I remember going to a private school in the Valley and being like, I don't have enough. I don't fit in here. I don't belong. Then once my parents started to do better for themselves, the opposite happened. I was like, oh my God, we don't belong here. You know, it just, it, and then that's when I realized there's always going to be a problem, Yeah, right? There's always going to be like something. So I think, as you said, I think it's just perspective and yeah. exposure and you know, how you raise your kids. Cause at the end of the day, and also these things come and go. Yeah. Ultimately. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I think what's really great is that like from a foundation of both you and Jen having like done the work like on yourself um, and having a relationship that's constantly expansive on inner growth, because as you said, every chapter of your life brings on and uncovers more like things that you need to release and uncover. So I think like when the parents are people who are just like emotionally developed and like understand their patterns and self-aware of them, I think it's easier to parent from a place of like 
openness and, and, and love that's not tied to something else or not projecting your unmet needs on the child. Yeah. And I'll definitely like stress, I don't think to say like we've done the work, we're never really going to be done. done yeah, yeah, you're never going to be done. Yeah. It's a constant like up-leveling yeah. yourself. Like, I have, as a, you said, a very specific question about that. Sure. As someone who's extremely introspective, sometimes I like suck the fun out of life because mm -hmm. I'm like always thinking mm -hmm. about these things and my partner is similar and mm -hmm. it's amazing. And firstly, like I do think there is this fallacy where you have to be healed mm -hmm. to find a partner or the mm -hmm. partner that's right for you, right? Mm -hmm. I think we can all agree on that. Sure. You can grow together. So as in partnership with Jen, you guys are both doing this work, which is incredible, but that also, you guys are also mirrors for each other. And I assume, you know, reflect back a lot of your bullshit mm -hmm. or have, mm -hmm. I guess that's a part of the question. How do you both deal with that? And something I'm running into is like, we're both kind of like, well, you're doing this and you're doing like, kind mm -hmm. of like, how do you stay in your own lane? <laughs> while it's, helping each other yeah but yeah, while yeah, yeah, fostering yeah, an environment yeah. that's like okay i'm here yeah. for you i'm reflecting back to you so that you can be better yeah. how do you do that uh man <laughs> Give me yeah. yeah yeah let me uh i'll sketch it out for you um, <laughs> it's not easy you know i think there's like sometimes where we're better at it than others you know yeah. i think it it just like waves of you know what's stressing us you know um I honestly, I will say that Hoffman has been really helpful to kind of recognize in each other also, like in ourselves, which makes it easier than to see in the other of like where this is coming from. So it's easier to not take things personally. We've also made a point to like stay connected to the Hoffman community. And we do these monthly like group Zooms where we'll have our friends, we'll have a teacher, everybody joins and just runs us through, you know, like an hour focus on something, you know, and it usually includes like a, some kind of mindful meditation and just sort of, you know, it's, it definitely is like ongoing work. And when we don't do that, when we don't stay connected, I find that I'm more anxious, that I'm more stressed, that I'm more nitpicky, that I'm more judgy. And I would imagine she probably feels the same. So I think it's not like there's ever going to be one solution that sort of fixes everything, it is that constant maintenance, you know, it's just keeping, keeping yourself, you know, pointed in the right direction because there, there is that voice and it sounds slightly different for all of us, but that voice, that's like, you know, the dark side that is like telling you the things that make you feel insecure, that somebody's wrong, that you're better than them or they're better than you or, you know, and so how do you keep that voice at bay? And it really just comes from like constant constant work yeah like pouring into that every day yeah there's times where we're you know we'll you know snap at each other and we're in nitpicking we're trying to be more conscientious about that of course just now with kids okay. like seeing that we're fortunate to have really really incredible uh nannies that that help us that are like really like teachers and guides and like a essentially like surrogate parents really like they're just so loving for our kids and we were talking to them the other day and they they said that it's not bad necessarily to kind of get into, you know, a, a little argument, but showing the kid the healthy life cycle of conflict of, okay, you can talk about something and now that we're yelling at each other, but like we can have a discussion and afterwards we make up and we kiss and like, you know, and that's actually can be healthy for the kid too. So we're, we're trying to like figure out 
there's no one way to do any of this stuff. So we're just trying to figure out like, what's the right way for us? What feels, you know, right. And something that we can keep up with. Yeah. I think Annabelle's mentioned this a few times on different podcasts as she's gearing up to be a mother that it's healthy. And I, I do love this, like to also not hide things from yeah. your kids and be like, it's actually okay to have emotions and to mess up. It's yeah. really about teaching your kids by example, like how you recover from that. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Like, deal with that. I grew up also like with this like perfectionist complex. And so I want to show my kids too, that like your mom's not perfect. Your dad's not yeah. perfect. Like if you trip and fall, like, okay, I'm going to laugh at myself and I'm going to have them watch yeah. that. And so that they can hopefully laugh at themselves if they have a yeah. little slip instead of like always defaulting to victim or yeah. I shouldn't have done this or being hard on themselves. I yeah. think it's, it's the big thing. Even expressing sadness, you yeah. know, um, Jen Fine. lost her dad in January and, um, thank you. It was, you know, of course, hard for everybody, really hard for her and her, you know, her immediate family. We have a little nephew and we could see the confusion, you know, cause he was seeing these adults crying and like, I think he was really trying to figure out like how to process grief, you know, and for our own kids, for them to see us crying, like we wanted them to see us in grief, you know, and to understand that like, that's okay to, and good to express and like, get it out and, you know, be able to process it and then, you know, move on and not just kind of like bottle it up and, and hide it. So being able to show sadness, being able to show frustration, being able to show, you know, right now River's two and he's like, you know, dealing with his feelings and frustrations. So we're trying to figure out, like Jen was Googling the other day and was on Instagram, like, what are some suggestions on how to like let a little toddler, like let go of his, you know, cause he'll get so frustrated and have to scream. And so, you know, people are saying like, oh, get a punching bag or scribble on paper, or, you know, dance your sillies out or, you know, there's like all these different ways. So we're just trying to figure out an experiment with him of like, hey, what, what makes him feel better? What, what's his I expression? I love that. Cause I also think as kids, you need that, but also as, as adults, adults, you need that. Yeah. Like I sometimes just like my therapist told me to just scream in the car. Yeah. And it's yeah, like yeah. such an amazing release yeah. or like, you know, in a pillow. Yeah. Um, and I think like we all need our different outlets. Yeah. Same with kids. Like obviously yeah. the kids ones might be very different from ours, but we all need outlets. We got to yeah. release it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This has been such an amazing uh, conversation. Um, the one thing we always ask at the end is the name of our podcast. What's the point? <laughs> what is the point? I would say for me, the point is fulfillment. So, and I think that, you know, really is the through line that I'm trying to focus on for, you know, in my work life, in my relationship, and, you know, with now being a, a parent is, yeah, feeling fulfilled. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.